You're listening to Force Friends Rewatch, a Star Wars TV show podcast. From Rebels to Resistance and The Mandalorian to Ewoks, we've got you covered. Here's your warning, there will be spoilers. And there will be swearing, because our host just gets so gonk darn excited to talk about these good, good shows. Welcome to Force Friends Rewatch. I'm your host, Andy. And typically that's where Ryan would say, and I'm Ryan. Uh, On Force Friends Rewatch, we watch Star Wars television shows and then we talk about them. Today we are covering something completely different than a Star Wars television show. We're talking about a Star Wars book. And instead of my trusty co-host, Ryan, we're joined by Becca Soka. Hello. Hi, Becca. How's it going? It is going well. How are you, Andy? I'm doing great. I'm really excited to talk about Queen's Hope, and I'm excited you're here instead of Ryan. <laughs> that sounded mean. That was so rude. <laughs> I love Ryan very much, uh, but no, I'm happy that it's just, you know, it's you and me time. That's great. Yeah, it's a cool vibe. I like yeah. it. Yeah. <laughs> um, except actually, it's not just you and me time, is it? No, it is not. We are joined by uh, a very uh, exciting guest. We're joined by E.K. Johnston. Hello. Hi, Kate. How's it going? It's going pretty well, thank you. It's almost spring here now, which is always nice. So as we are recording, Queen's Hope has been out for about a week? Uh, Yeah, a week and two days. That's awesome. It's kind of weird because it was like, it got bumps, and the last two books were in the pandemic, and like, everybody was really excited, and there was such a good response, but I haven't like seen anybody. Mm-hmm. Um. So the online response has just been so incredible because it's, it's, it's really what I've had. And um, it's been fantastic to sort of connect with people, even though I haven't got to see anybody in a couple of years. <laughs> I'm, I'm very excited to talk to you because we talked for Rebels Reads in like 2020, 2021. And it I th- was... It, I think you were the last person I talked to before the book got bumped. Mm-hmm. Because I told you the thing. Yes. And we were both very excited about it. And then like three days later, I was like, uh, I have some bad news. <laughs> <laughs> I thought you'd have to sit on this for a month. Uh, I need you to sit on this for half a year. <laughs> yes. Yes. Uh, I, I mean, I'm sure it was more wild for you and more difficult for you. It was. But I had, I had been given just like a tasty morsel. And that, that had to sustain me for a much longer <laughs> time. Than expected, but I'm so glad that we are going to get to talk about this book. Full spoiler. Yes. But before we do that, let's talk a little bit spoiler free. And then any any listeners, if you don't want to be spoiled, you can uh, dip out after the spoiler free discussion. But Kate, do you want to give us uh, kind of a spoiler free? Uh, if people haven't heard about this book for some reason and they're listening to the show, what is what is Queen's Hope uh, about? So Queen's Hope is the third book in uh, the trilogy about Padme Amidala that I wrote for Disney. And in this particular book, we get Padme right at the beginning of the Clone Wars. So it actually starts during Attack of the Clones and ends before Geonosis. So it ends before the TV show starts, more or less. That, t- that show has a really murky, murky beginning chronologically, but 
uh, definitely before uh, Anakin meets Ahsoka. So it was kind of that that period where, you know, Anakin and Padme just got married. Padme is very happy about that. But at the same time, the galaxy is plunging into war and plunging very quickly into war <laughs> because Palpatine has set them up to fall hard. And um, kind of how she adapts as this person who will fight. We've seen her. She will fight, but she prefers not to. And she's going to learn very quickly um, the limits of her diplomatic skills in this situation. And it's not going to be a great time for her. But at the same time, she has all this stuff going on in her personal life for the first time that is completely private, that she doesn't have to share with anyone. Which, of course, becomes complicated because Sabe, uh, one of her original handmaidens, has to step in for her again. So not only does she have to play Senator Amidala, there are some stuff, there is some stuff in Padme's life that she's not really prepped <laughs> to, to deal with. Um, and that's basically how we, we get to the two characters in the book. Becca, what is your spoiler-free reaction thus far? There's not been a lot of moments where I wasn't crying or tearing up. <laughs> um, <laughs> as a huge Padme lover, I, it, it's just, it, it's so great. It just brings me back to her and how much I loved her when I was a teenager growing up with those movies and finally getting a Padme that I was like, yes, this is, this is what I always envisioned her to be like. And it just, it feels just rewarding almost to finally see stuff with her and, and, and get content that she deserves. I completely agree. Uh, I cried a lot reading this book. Um, I'm sure part of that is also that like I'm getting married very shortly and this is a book about a newlywed couple uh, yeah. and their friends and their relationships and uh, people who have to keep their relationships a secret really hit for me um, for uh, for a lot of reasons. As, as a kid who grew up in the 90s with the prequels, I loved Padme and the Handmaidens. Who didn't want to be them? Like they were the coolest characters. And I was talking on Twitter about this the other day. I wasn't allowed to have a Padme action figure. Like I had, you know, like three of the Athorian from the Cantina. I had a Masamita action figure. I had at least six different versions of Han Solo. I wasn't allowed to have a Padme. And yeah. this felt like getting the Padme toys that I wasn't allowed to have growing up. It, it felt so, it, it felt like a time machine was like, like a gift was being given to like the little Andy inside of me. It, Hell yeah. Yeah. That's awesome. these, these books rule. They're so good. <laughs> Thank you. I agree. Yep. <laughs> okay. Were you like plugged into like fan culture at that time plugged is an interesting word <laughs> because right. uh my, we did have the internet but it wasn't like it is now it wasn't even like it was for like even revenge of the sith like when phantom menace came out you know i was the only one of my friends that had an email address there was an online component to the fandom but we spent a lot more time like flipping through magazines with magnifying glasses looking for pictures of these girls in the background and like trying to get like any any story about them that we could and you know following the actresses to other projects and all that kind of stuff so my relationship with star wars fandom has always been uh mostly offline 
until I started writing for it. <laughs> um, so I, I didn't really have a big online, I, I didn't really have a presence in the online fandom until the Ahsoka book came out. Gotcha. But I still had my brother and we would talk about Star Wars all the time. He's texted me like four times this week uh, with like various random, like every once in a while, I'll just get this random text out of the middle of nowhere about like something about Count Dooku's backstory or whatever, <laughs> um, or like some weird lightsaber theory or what have you. Um, and then the thing that's become one of my favorite parts of Star Wars fandom currently is that my nephew, aka the Tiny Hulk, is super into Star Wars. Like he just loves it so much. Um, and so he started when he was three, he's going to be nine soon. And it's just been so much fun to go through Star Wars with a kid, which I think is the best way to go through Star Wars. And I also really do enjoy the online parts that I participate in and the people I get to see at conventions and all that kind of stuff. Um, but I wasn't like super involved in like the force.net or, or something like that. Mm -hmm. Becca, you, you mentioned that you have a like deep love for Padme. What is it about mm -hmm. this character that ignites that that love and that passion? I mean, I I was a young girl when the movies were coming out, and I think it was like I liked Leia, but seeing Padme, who was beautiful, had these elaborate gowns and had all these like cool girlfriends and just this this powerful like aura to her basically really just drew me to her more and I think I also just love the relationship she had with Anakin I'm a huge fan of that and I mean this book of course was great for that but I think she just to me was always such a strong character for young girls because we saw her when she was young and then mm -hmm. seeing that her, her develop basically and her growing up and you get to kind of grow up with her was just more impactful for me. And now like you get to see these snippets of how, how cool she is. And I always was drawn to that. So it, it's just, I mean, I will, I'll always say it's just amazing when I can get new content for her because it really shows the side of her that I was always drawn to and now more people are seeing it. And it it's really, she's just such a strong independent but like loving character like she just loves everybody and she shows that that strength too it's always just inspiring i completely agree that like these books like this trilogy of books does a really great job of expanding on padme from the different stages of her life because we get kind of less of her as the prequels go on uh like the phantom menace is padme's movie and, well, oh yeah for sure definitely. and like attack of the clones she's a huge part of it and she's definitely like the co-lead but she's she's the co-lead and right. frustratingly um i would have wanted more of her in revenge of the sith and she, um she has scenes basically starting the rebellion yeah. and, and we miss that we don't see that yeah I'll, I'll forever beg for a special edition of Revenge of the Sith with those scenes put back in, please. Oh my God, right. uh, if we can get big scenes back in, we can get Padme scenes back in. Right. <laughs> um, but I'm these dreaming. books like take what we see of her at her youngest, you know, in Phantom Menace and through the different chapters of her life between the movies really expand on who she is between uh, those movies and between the shows and stuff. And I think, Kate, you did a fantastic job bringing out 
you know, who is Padme as an adult, you know, as a young adult and then as an adult uh, between before and after Attack of the Clones in a really compelling way. Mm -hmm. It was something that I have been dreaming about since 1999. So every time someone says that, I'm like, thanks. Um, <laughs> but yeah, so it's always, it's always, it, it's always really nice to hear that because it is very much what I was trying to do. It's like a dream come true, really. Yeah. So we've been going for about 14 minutes now, and I think this is where we're going to say spoiler time. <laughs> so if you have not read this book and you care about spoilers, uh, this is the time to pause. Uh, go pick up a copy from your uh, local bookstore and sit down and tear through it and then come back to us. Um, or if you don't care about spoilers, you know, we are famously a spoiler friendly podcast. So uh, <laughs> this is this is your warning from here on out. We're going to be spoiling this whole thing. Let's talk spoilers. Kate, you made me cry a whole lot. <laughs> this is a breakup book. It is a breakup book. This it is, is a breakup, breakup book. book. To be fair, I did tell people that it was a breakup book. I had no idea what you were talking about, though. <laughs> I was like, they're getting married in this book. What are you talking about? I thought it was going to be like kind of like an Anakin, like breaking up with Obi-Wan. Like, I had no idea what you meant uh, when I saw that on Twitter. So, yeah, I was not ready for the Padme Sabe breakup. Yeah, it was uh, it was rough. Um, I basically I always knew that it was going to have that like emotional attack um, aspect to it because when I sat down to write the book, I wanted to get Padme from this person who literally always has somebody within arm's reach. Like every time we see her on the camera, she is within arm's reach of somebody like one of the hit maidens or one of the droids or whatever. She's always there, but there's this scene in revenge of the Sith that always makes me really sad. And it's her on the balcony by herself and nobody is there. None of the guards are there. None of the handmaidens are there. Like she's completely isolated. And I wanted to kind of write the book or write the story of how she started down the path to becoming that isolated person. And part of that involves, you know, getting her closer to Anakin and actually trying to have a work-life balance, which is not a bad thing um, if you're not the main character of a tragedy. But like, so she starts to differentiate her work self from her private self. She starts to run her house so that she has work hours and private hours. Like she does all these things that are probably very good good work-life balance decisions but it means that you know she doesn't have those girls with her all the time anymore and so when she needs them they're not there because she thought Anakin was going to be there and he isn't the other side of that of course is that you know people have always wondered like where where is Sabe like where did she go that she's not in the middle of this and um I knew that <laughs> I knew that it was going to be a really painful decision for her. The thing that I did not know going into it was that Greg Pak was writing the comic books, which turned out to be fantastic because we have kind of bounced off of each other. So I wrote Queen's Carol before I knew about the comic books. And then he wrote kind of the first round of his Vader comic. And then I used the kind of like, guilt I suppose that Sabe has in those first five books or in those first five volumes to go back and write 
Queen's Hope. And then we had another conversation while he was writing the Vader stuff that's currently out. Um, so we, we were able to kind of play her story back and forth between, you know, all over the timeline, which I think is one of the most fun things about writing for Star Wars. Um, but it definitely gave us space to kind of, um, really expand it. And I knew it was going to be really sad, (laughs) but unfortunately, uh, we're in the tragedy part of this story after the end of Attack of the Clones, it, it becomes a full on tragedy and there's, there's really no no escaping that (laughs) about halfway through i like put the book down and i said oh revenge of the sith doesn't happen if sabe is in the picture you're right and i i obviously knew that she was going to you know survive like i've uh i've read some of the the current vader comics where 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 she shows up and uh, they're very fun and I was just like, okay, well, like, she's not, she's not going to die in this, but like, Kate is, is positioning <laughs> her in such a way that she, she can't be here. Uh, and, and kind of like having that realization and being like, oh, we're on the Titanic now, baby. Like, yeah. <laughs> oh, it, it's, if you've ever had a friend breakup, like this will hit for you. Yeah. And uh, in I a think- very real way. Yeah, and that was one of one of I think most the most important things for me was um this was the only time I was going to write the Padme Anakin relationship, but it was important to me to kind of bookend where we'd gone with Sabe and unfortunately for Sabe, uh the only way out of this is kind of a friendship breakup and I had given their relationship so much weight intentionally like it's the sort of this like the idea that this friendship was the most important relationship in both of their lives and then what happens when Padme has multiple important relationships in her life and how that's going to change and also what happens when you're at war and you don't want to be at war and I I think you did a a really nuanced job where none of these three characters who are all kind of jockeying for relationship positions, none of them are inherently wrong in no. how they feel and how they act. Like it's not as easy as like so-and-so did something toxic and I'm removing them. It's, it's much more complicated and messy than that. Yeah, it is quite messy. <laughs> uh Becca, we're how how are you, how are you feeling right now about the the Anakin Padme Sabe of it all? I mean, it hurts because I have gone through a best friend breakup, and knowing though the the reasons that can happen or should happen, it still hurts, especially seeing two characters I love. But when you think about it, yeah, like it needs to happen because Sabe is like to Padme what Padme is to Anakin. And without Sabe, Padme, she, with Sabe, Padme would never become more dependent on Anakin. Yeah. And as much as I love the two of them, like Padme and Sabe, it just, it, it needed to be for the story, even though in my head canon, I'd be like, now nah, they're, they're best friends forever. Yeah. And Anakin's just like her friend still. <laughs> yeah. uh, happy ending for all, but yeah. uh, it, it's, it hurts, but yeah, I just, it makes sense. And it's, it was the best way to do it as hard as it is because you want Padme to be happy 
and she is going to be happy with with Anakin, you know, yeah. in some sense. But yeah, and in a lot of ways, Sabe is like, oh, you know, I'll just give them the honeymoon period, and then in a few years, when like we've all grown as people again, like maybe things will shuffle around and the war will be over and all that right. kind of stuff, and we can do this again. And they just never do. Right. Um, can uh, eventually <laughs> yeah. because they cannot um yeah. and so i think that that's that that really plays into the tragedy again and also the part where it's called queen's hope is that these people have plans like they're not um i call it a breakup book and it is definitely a breakup book but it's not a permanent breakup it's like a a redefinition of their relationship they're breaking up for now but they know that in a few years mm-hmm. they'll they'll be friends they'll just be friends in a different way and they yes. never get that a few years later um because <laughs> we'll just blame george lucas that seems like a good person to blame. because of george lucas because of george speaking <laughs> of the the anakin of it all we we briefly talked on maybe more than briefly we we really deep dived how you write Anakin and Vader as one person, at least from my perspective, that's how I read it. And balancing that level of Anakin is a man with very good intentions and he's very charming and he's very talented and he's very gifted. And he also has a real darkness in him that, is very understandable, but also he does not have the tools to deal with it in a healthy way. And that comes out in very destructive ways. And I feel like a lot of people write Anakin and Vader as two separate people because they believe the lie that Obi-Wan told Luke Mm -hmm. that Anakin was murdered by Darth Vader and they're not the same person. And, um, how how do you, I asked you this before the book came out? I'm asking it to you now that the book is out. How do you handle <laughs> the romantic element of Anakin and Padme that shippers want to see and that everyone loves, with also knowing that it's it is destined for tragedy and it's 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 rough. I think one of the things that I have used to kind of base my characterization of Anakin on is uh, something I got from Dave Filoni when I was writing the Ahsoka book. Um, which is after Order 66, Ahsoka assumes that Anakin is dead because she cannot sense him anymore. She has always been able to sense him. And it doesn't matter how far apart they are. She always knows he's out there somewhere. And after Order 66, she assumes he's dead because she cannot sense him anymore. So what happened to Anakin in that moment in Palpatine's office was so profound that it, like, if you want to say, I don't know, changed his force signature or whatever, it changed something fundamental in his soul. But that that change was the the end of the road. So you have all of these, you have the potential, which Palpatine, of course, exploits and manipulates and connives and all that kind of stuff to bring forward. And then you have just sort of his descent and... I got to write him at the very top of that. So at the end of Attack of the Clones, I, I jokingly describe it as everything's coming up Anakin because, you know, he's very happily married to the girl of his dreams. He's very sure of his place in the universe. 
And once the actual fighting starts, he finds out he's very good at that part too. So he's really at the top of his game. And you have seen those flashes of darkness. We see them in Attack of the Clones and we see them obviously in, in the Clone Wars, but you don't really take them seriously because you can still kind of see that like little boy who was like, you won't make it home to your ship before the sandstorm hits. You better come home with me to my house that has nothing, right? Like they have nothing. (laughs) And he welcomed three people in a droid without second thought. And that's the kind of person he was before Palpatine got involved and kind of the, the, the descent of that. So I really kind of wrote the, the younger version of Anakin um, with the little flashes of what's to come. And I'm really interested to see actually how Mike, uh, Mike Chen, who wrote Brotherhood, which is out in a couple of weeks, um, how he did it, because he is also going to have to deal with those occasional dark flashes that Anakin shows at the beginning of the Clone Wars. That's, that's so compelling. It's so interesting to hear you talk about. Mm-hmm. And uh, I love Anakin and I love Padme. And uh, I could listen to different people's theories about them for hours and uh, hearing a, an author who's, who's writing has really hit for me, you know, just talk about it is, is very, very compelling stuff. It is also nice to, to see somebody write it. Like you guys said, like, cause Anakin and Vader are the same person. And to see it written that way is really nice because you, you got to remember that. That's why he, that's why Luke can bring him back later is because he is still there. Like that's still the same person. Yeah. And like the Yoda, there's a, there's an arc in Clone Wars where Yoda visits the priestesses to find out how to save, like to be a force ghost, basically. He talks to Qui-Gon and the whole point is showing him that the dark side is in him. He, he has it. Everybody has it it's in you. It's part of you. Be able to accept that. Yeah. And that's the hardest part for people is accepting that you are bad in some senses. It just won't control you. It helps. It helps not to have a Palpatine on your shoulder. Right. That, that does make it difficult. (laughs) I could keep talking about the Anakin Padme Sabe of it, but I, 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 there's so many good characters in this that I, (laughs) uh, and we are, I'm keeping an eye on the clock. So okay. I have to ask you about the the brief interlude chapters where we get to see uh, Shmi, Baru, and Briha. Is that the three or is there a fourth? Uh, Padme has one. Padme has one as well. Okay. Yeah. What was the, the thought process there? And why specifically, I guess, those four characters? Uh, so I'm a big fan of interstitials. All Most of my books have them in some format. It's a structural thing that I return to as a writer over and over and over again. Uh, in Ahsoka, it's interstitials much like this one. In Queen's Shadow, it's the newscasts. And so with Queen's Hope, I had decided very early on um, what I wanted them to be. And I'd actually been planning it since like 2017. I was on a panel and Pablo Hidalgo had asked what bad guy character we would like to write. And I said, Palpatine. And he said, wait, we have to, we have to look into this because you're like the nicest person I've ever met. Like, what are you talking about? And I was explaining why I would want to write Palpatine. And while I was explaining it, the wheels start turning and all that kind of stuff. And anyway, I wrote the prologue um, on the plane on the way home. And originally uh, it began with a Palpatine interlude and Shmi was the one at the end. 
And then there was a Barris Offie interlude. And then there was another character interlude um, that we cut. And we cut that one. We cut the Barris one. And we cut the Palpatine one because we wanted to keep it. Um, well, that's not true. We cut them all for different reasons. We cut the Palpatine one because we wanted to keep it all girls. And we cut the one, like the extra one, because it was a character they did not want to bring in. And we cut the Barris Offie one because at that point she was the only one who wasn't a member of Leia's family uh in who had an interlude so the barris offy interlude got moved to the party scene it was all dramatized i kept literally all of that scene it's just a conversation she has with sabe instead oh wow and then it became sort of these four matriarchs i guess or whatever of leia's life and uh but it was all built around the shmi section um which i have been i guess working my way up to since 2016, when I wrote the Ahsoka book, just kind of putting Shmi Skywalker into more of these books. Um, she's in all four of my Star Wars books, even though she's only alive for one of my Star Wars books. And it was really important to me to just keep reminding people of where that character came from. And also very important uh, because it's not something I think the writers of the movie were thinking about, but it's something that I have thought about a lot, which is um, the consent involved with the pregnancy um the the idea that she was aware of what she was being asked and said yes rather than like waking up one day and being like i've had a period in four months like i don't know maybe i should take some kind of test which i feel would be kind of horrifying so for a variety of reasons so um i really wanted to expand upon the character remind the character was remind people the character was there but also for my own purposes, add that consent and agency issue. And that really spins into Baru's chapter as well. Um, And everything that Sabe does on Tatooine. So I got quite a bit of story out of that like soapbox. Um, And it was, it was kind of nice to kind of put all those things together. I think you're the first person to ever like give Baru like a real personality. And (laughs) like, she's such an important character. Like she was the mother figure of Luke Skywalker. And uh, I feel like there hasn't been like much of a spotlight ever afforded her. And I love the stuff he did with the white sons. Yeah. And... That was, that's been in the works since Queen's shadow for sure. <sighs> um, but I have been, I've been thinking a lot about like the order of events and because we hear it from Watto, right? And he's not a reliable source. <laughs> um, especially because he's the loser in this case, right? Like he's not yeah. going to tell the truth. Um, and so the one thing that I appreciated was that even when Watto tells the story, it's still he freed her and then married her, which was something I appreciated they put in. Mm-hmm. Um, but I wanted to give a little more depth to that. And in like a thousand words, I crammed as much plot into that as I possibly could, um, to give Baru something to work with and to give Shmi a little bit more agency in the story. As a, as an ex evangelical too, the idea of people who have ideas about missions and going to a place where they're not from and doing work it can be very condescending and it can do more harm than good. And this is not a a theology podcast, but the idea that Tanra and Sabe went to Tatooine with the best of intentions and they did help people. 
but they also got in the way and they also got in their own way. Yes. And mm-hmm. the second time they're coming, they are coming with more respect and understanding for the people who are already doing the work that are from those communities and they build up trust and they build up good faith. Yes, 100%. It was kind of, um, I I was thinking about the missionary thing when I was, when I was putting the story together, obviously, but when I was writing Queen's Shadow um, and, and did the sort of the failed attempts, it was really sort of me like looking at my own ideas of like white feminism and activism and and what that meant. Um, And getting to come back in Queen's Hope and kind of give Sabe her, you know, better shot, her second shot, her better shot at it was um was really kind of nice because a lot of times you don't get that second shot um and but yeah it was definitely like the first time was a mistake they made mistakes they you know they didn't think about things they assumed a lot based on their own privilege and this time they're doing it right and it takes forever but they do something super important and it's something that nobody else on Tatooine could have done and I mean, we don't see all of Tatooine in the OT, but what we see of it from Luke, it doesn't seem like there is a slave institutionalized slave trade from what we see. And yeah. I love the idea that people like Baru and Sabe and Tanra, uh, for the most part, s- stamped out large chunks of it and, you know, hopefully all of it. So. Yeah, I think that the huts were definitely running something, but sure. Um, sure, sure. the the one thing um, I've said in a few interviews now, but like the one thing was that if I had known, because um, I wrote this book between, or sorry, immediately after season two of The Mandalorian, and if I had known about Garza and the sanctuary, I would have been like, thanks, John. She's mine now. I will take it from here. You have done a good job. Thank you. Jennifer Beals and I will be over here doing this thing now. Um, and there is a way you can kind of like headcanon her into the book. And I strongly encourage people to do that because if I'd known that she existed, she'd be a character in this book. And they let me, if I know that she existed and they let me, she'd be a character in this book. Oh, that would have been so cool. Yeah. Oh. <laughs> I was thinking about the Baru stuff and I did remember there was a very small thing with her in a certain a certain point of view yeah that i remember it's called like heart of a mother or something like that yeah yeah. where she dreams of like owning her own diner or like being like being a chef and it's so nice to get characters like that stories and to see that in this book as well was yeah it's so rewarding because she deserves that she's done so much and people are just like oh that's just dance like no she's important to this family Baru and Owen get, I think, a lot of um, unnecessary hate. And, like, don't get me wrong, <laughs> we see Owen at his grumpiest, but, yeah. like... <laughs> his grumpiest and his most desperate. Yeah. Because he knows yeah. he's not going to be able to keep Luke at home much longer. Mm-hmm. And he's mm-hmm. scared. And, and un- he's scared. Like, understandably. Yeah. Uh, yeah. I would like to talk about queer representation. Okay. Um I thought you might. I just yeah. said this again. <laughs> yeah, I've been, I've, been holding off. I've been holding off to here. Uh, sister and, is it pronounced Tepo? Tipo. Tipo. Sister and Tipo. Boy, howdy. Katie. Boy, howdy. My whole heart. Aww. 
Wow. Um, <laughs> do just what what are your thoughts? How did these two characters come to be? Who did you have to arm wrestle? Did you have to like bet your soul against a fiddle of gold to get these characters into Star Wars? Like, how did they get here? This is actually one of my favorite stories to tell. So Tipo came first. When I wrote the first draft of Queen's Hope, Tipo was in it. And um, I'm going to mess up Tipo's pronouns several times because I had actually made up a pronoun when I wrote the book. Um, and then in the edit, Jen was like, can we use the pronoun that Chuck made up in Aftermath? And I was like, yeah, of course. And then she just like find replaced, fixed it. So like, I've never written it down. <laughs> okay. <laughs> so, um, and the other thing is I also conceived as Tipo as more gender fluid. So originally in my original concept, if Tipo was a boy, it would be he. And if Tipo was a girl, it would be she. And it would go back and forth depending on the scene. Uh, but then I decided to simplify it because I didn't think grownups could handle it. So I went to the, the, the neo pronouns. And then we switched to Chucks, which uh, are she and, or I can't say it because I can't say Z, my Zs very well. Like I, I lisp on Zs. Um, so it's like Z, Z and Sir. There's like a th in there that I'd struggle with. Anyway. Um, so with Tipo, that character came first. I put uh, I put the very specifically with Sashe because Sashe is at this point the most independent of the handmaidens who is still involved in politics. And um, Dorme was smart enough to look at the list and be like, okay, this person is not going to be a fit with us. Sashe will do the hire instead. So that's kind of how, how, how that character came to be. Um, I had written all the scenes. I sent it in. Um, and when I sent the first draft, draft to Jen, I included a letter that was like, here's a list of things I'm going to be adding to part one when we do the second draft of this book. <laughs> and it was like, Anakin, because he wasn't really in the first draft and like all that <laughs> kind of stuff. So um, when I got the notes back from Jen, she was like, yeah, this is all the stuff that we want in the first draft. Like, I think that's a good idea. We'll shuffle things around. It'll be fine. Story group was wondering if you could make Tipo a trans character instead. And I thought about it for about 10 seconds and I was like, no, I can't. It's not like flipping a switch in this case, the character, the way the character interacts with Sasha, the way the character interacts with everybody else is very dependent on their gender fluidity. It's not a static change, I suppose, for lack of a better way to describe it. Gender fluidity is very much part of the character on the page. And then I was like, but you did ask for another Anakin scene. So what if I just gave you a trans character in addition to Tipo? And Sister was an idea that I'd been floating around for a couple months at that point. And I knew that it was going to be a short scene. I knew that it was going to be very unsubtle. Um, and I knew that it. I wanted it to be with Anakin because I wanted it to be one of his most like Jake Lloyd moments in the whole book. Like when you... Read that scene. If you are picturing Jake Lloyd, then I've done my job. Um, nothing against Hayden Christian, who is also lovely. But I, I really wanted that kind of, that innocence, that genuineness, that ex immediate acceptance to shine through in that scene. And um, I knew that it was going to be short. I knew that it wasn't like, you know, banner unfurling, like, yay, we have a trans character in Star Wars now. Like, it's a very short scene. Um, we very deliberately didn't market the book with sister in it like i had mentioned 
her a couple times on Twitter. And then I was, I was always very careful to be like, you know, she's a very minor character. We didn't want to get people's hopes up. We just want to let you know that she exists. Cause I'm really mad at certain people who live in Florida right now. And like that kind of stuff. Um, but there was zero pushback adding her to the book. There was several great conversations with Emily, who was on story group uh, with both characters. There is definitely the possibility of future appearances for sister. She is a character that I very much created with the idea that anybody else writing in that time period who needed a clone uh, could use sister. Um, and Tipo, I think is a little bit more tied to uh, the Naboo storyline. Um, but, sh- but she's also the example of a character who cannot be the queen's shadow. And I wanted to sort of have a character in the book who for personal emotional reasons, not physical ones, but personal and emotional ones could not have doubled for Padme Amidala um, under certain circumstances. And it was important to me for the story, but also to Sabe's development to sort of, even though they never crossed paths to have this, this person in the book who was incapable of being the queen's shadow but still capable of doing great things. So I, I have talked before on uh, things like uh, that gay Jedi's YouTube channel and uh, on, on force friends about how as a gender queer person, the like handmaidens like really meant a lot to me. This idea that there's all these themes about like, passing and choosing your own name and uh using gender presentation and femininity as armor and that stuff all really really hit for me and scenes you've written before where you know people talk about chosen names on Naboo and it being like really respected it's just like oh it, it meant so much and I had a lot of expectations coming into this book of the character that I wanted maybe wasn't Tipo. It, you know, I have my own headcanons about certain handmaidens and things like that. So do I. But as, as I was reading it, I thought about if I was a kid reading it and if, if, if this was 14 year old me reading it, how would I react to Tipo and the idea of a younger person who admires the handmaidens and who is genderqueer and is fully accepted and respected by them and embraced. I was like, Oh no, that makes sense now. Like it, the idea of it being a younger person who admires them and gets accepted and brought into this, you know, unit, a part of this unit I was like, oh, see, that's why Kate is the professional author and I'm not. <laughs> yeah, there's a um, there's a scene in, uh, I think it's the second Magnus Chase book by Rick Riordan, um, which features Alex, who is a gender fluid character, sometimes male, sometimes female. And um, there is there's a few really amazing scenes where Magnus, the main character, like can tell them apart. Like that's how that's he's Alex is the love interest in this series. So um, it's, it, there's a few really cool series uh, where Magnus can tell them apart. But the scene that I was thinking of when I was writing Tipo was there's a scene in the book where Alex as a girl 
um, is in a wedding dress and pretending to like stage a wedding with the villain so that they can have like, it's all part of their cunning plan. And in the middle of the cunning plan, Alex is a boy and he's stuck in this wedding dress and he's stuck having to be a girl and it's traumatic. And Rick Gordon takes the time to unpack it. There are several chapters afterwards where they go through the trauma, they unpack the trauma, you know, Alex gets to react both as a girl and as a boy. And like they, they really give Alex space to deal with it. And I knew that I wasn't going to have that kind of space for Tipo. And so when it came to that character, some mornings Tipo would wake up and be totally capable of being Queen Amidala that day. But some mornings Tipo would make up and could not put on a dress. And so that was the, the, the mood that I wanted to capture with the character without traumatizing the character because I didn't have enough time to do it nicely. <laughs> I've, I've been there. I've yeah. been there, Tifo. I understand. <laughs> uh, and the, the scene where they talk about like, oh, maybe I could have worn a dashing guard uniform. I was like, there's a, there's a swashbuckler element yeah. to Tifo that yeah. I adore. Yeah. And there, uh, Z- Zier, I'm, I also struggle with pronunciation. Yeah, it's the it's the it's the ZH every time. Yeah. I'm like, oh no, because I don't, don't want to say sure because that's just she. <laughs> um, <laughs> Thanks, Chuck. Anyway, um, yeah, just I, I wonderful usually, though. Yeah, just just a wonderful character. Uh, Becca, have you gotten a lot of Tipo where you're at? I I have yes, and I I do love it. I don't <laughs> I don't know I don't see it the same way you do of course but it's it is nice to see that kind of character brought into books like this and stories like this so it's it's just really nice to see um and read about because then it helps like i feel like i can understand that kind of thing better to in my own way um even just reading it in a star wars book it's it's just nice to see for others too and know that somebody's going to read that and have such a connection with it and the I kept coming back to, you know, this idea of these badass capable women that I've admired since I was a little kid lifting up this queer young adult and embracing Tippo for who Zer Z oh, uh <laughs> I'm 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 getting choked up now too. But it it's just really, really beautiful stuff and onto sister uh, I felt like that was Anakin trying to be Yoda in that moment a little bit. And like Anakin is like, what does he say? Uh, like transcending gender. Yeah. Yeah. Transcendent gender. And that to me, like mimic the like luminous beings. Are we not this crude matter? Yeah. And... The, the, the Yoda that I was, the Yoda that I was going for in that scene uh, was from, I think it's like one of the first episodes of the Clone Wars or the first one chronologically mm-hmm. or something where Yoda makes them take off their helmets. Yeah. And, yeah. and we they're the like, yeah. And they're like, you know, we'll, we'll get you out general. Like, even if we die and he's like, no, we're doing this together. Take off your helmet so I can see your faces. And they're like, dude, we have the same face. And he's like, no, that's not my point. Like, and yeah. so that was kind of, that was kind of what I was going for with, with that, that moment. But also I, I like to imagine it's a bit of the Qui-Gon showing through as well. Mm-hmm. Um, because the, the idea of, of acceptance is not always something the Jedi are particularly good at. 
Um, but I think Qui-Gon was. Oh, definitely. The institution is not, but individuals yeah, that's, the are. The institution is not, yeah. but individuals are. And, and for sure. And I, I think Anakin, as someone who has also always felt like an outsider, would get it. And it's that, that tough balancing act of Anakin is this compassionate, kind person, but he is also full of conviction and he makes bad choices. But um, he is someone who I think would feel empathy for a character like Sister and for Anakin at his most heroic to embrace Sister, I think is really compelling. This is Anakin when he's, you know, the varsity quarterback. Like it is all coming up Anakin right now. For sure. I I have so many more notes that I want to talk to you about, and I'm watching that <laughs> clock. Uh, the the Nemoidian OJ. Yep. Oh, I called him Oj, but Oj. So we've talked about on Force Friends how uh, the Clone Wars does a great job of taking maybe certain alien species, which are uh, maybe not the most sensitively portrayed, and yeah. kind of giving them some more nuance. And the one group that doesn't is Nemoidians. What was your thought process for Oj and and kind of shining a light on uh, maybe an, a different aspect of, of that people? That was also a really early part of the story. And um, at one point, story group was like, wouldn't it make more sense if he was betraying them? I'm like, I mean, maybe, but he's not going to. Um, and so it was, is this idea of Padme having to confront something within herself um, that she's going to confront several more times during the Clone Wars, but doing it again at the very, very beginning, where um, one of her less attractive qualities is that she's super anti-Nemoidian. And on paper, that's against the Trade Federation. She's, you know, anti-capitalist, but they all happen to be the same species. And her planet has a very good reason for hating Nemoidians, but the fact that she does bothers her and she talks about it a little bit in Queen's Shadow this and she talks about it with other people from Naboo who also don't like Nemoidians and so she has this kind of like it it feels like her personal growth in this book I guess um where you know she has to confront something that she previously has not done well with the same way that Sabe has to confront Tatooine again and so I had decided to um, to set up this sort of conspiracy and then they would have to go somewhere and it would be, you know, all very cloak and dagger. And then for like two seconds, we're like, okay, so what if he is tricking them? And I'm like, yeah, I know he could, but I really think the story is better this way. Um, and then kind of sat down and, and figured it out. And obviously it's not going to work. Like that's the thing that, um, that you have to keep in mind. It's, it's, it's going to fail. But it ties into the theme of Padme trying over and over and over again. And it also gave me a really great scene with Palpatine. So, mm-hmm. <laughs> so um, but yeah, it was, it was interesting to write. And it was also interesting from, uh, from a craft perspective. Um, in Queen's Shadow, because I knew that Kat Tabor would be reading the book, like rereading the book on tape, I was very careful to make sure that Jar Jar and Lot Dodd did not have lines. They were in the book, but they did not have lines because I didn't know Kat that well yet. 
And I didn't want to make her feel awkward if she had to do those voices. Um, there is more Nemoidian characters and lines, and there is more Jar Jar and lines in Queen's Peril because I knew Kat a little bit better. We talked a little bit about it, like what she would do, what it would look like, how it would sound. Um, and then by the time by the time Queen's Hope rolled around, I was like, and another character, and another character, and another character. Um, but Kat did such a good job with the voices of them that, that it really made me feel comfortable writing the characters because I think it is something that Star Wars could confront. Um, and even if it's in this like small way, and I used Padme to do it because one, I was writing the book about her anyway, but also um, she is a person who I think would be like, I can't hate a whole species. Like that's just not right. <laughs> that's just not right. There must be like, there must be a better way to do this and to kind of push her into that position where she has to accept that like maybe these people could help her if she let them, um, I, which is very hard. I love the idea too, that like, even if it's not successful, that doesn't mean it's not the right thing to still try to do. Exactly. That's like the, the motto of Queen's Hope. I, I have so many more notes, but we are at time. But my closing thoughts are that there's, so many compelling, beautiful, exciting scenes. Uh, the you, the masculinity and like the soft, phenomenal masculinity of characters like Tanra and Typho are they're two of like my favorite characters now. Um, the the way you write Sheev is incredibly upsetting, and uh, <laughs> I'm still like I get goosebumps from those scenes. And the the very very powerful uh, womanhood and friendship of of these characters uh, that are at the center of this book, and the the way you handle growing up and you know slowly drifting apart from friends but remaining close and entering adulthood is is very compelling. I would recommend people pick these books up if they haven't yet, and if you haven't and you've listened to all of this, then like you know how good this book is. So go read it, go read it for yourself. <laughs> Becca, what are your closing thoughts on, on Queen's Hope? I mean, what comes to mind is me not ever imagining a book about such tragedy would make me feel so safe reading. That's a good point. It just makes me feel like it makes me feel comfortable. It makes me feel like, like accepted and close and it feels so good. And yet it's about such a tragic time. <laughs> But it's so it's it's because it's done so well, really, and I I love it. I love all of the the three books, um, and it's just it makes me feel good to have them. Thank you, Kate. What are your closing thoughts on uh, Queen's Hope that you want our audience to to take away with them? You know, I'm just still a little surprised that we got to do this. Like we waited twenty years for Queen's Shadow. And people responded so overwhelmingly positively that they asked me to write another one. And then people responded so positively to that, that they asked me for a third one. And like, I, I, I wanted that obviously, like I was planting hooks all over the place for a trilogy, but it's because of the readers that it happened. It's because of these fans. It's because of these people who have been, you know, with Star Wars their whole lives or people who just watched it last week and was like, hey, that books look pretty. Like um, there's there's just so many wonderful people 
who are responsible for this. And like, there's the obvious people like me and Jen and Lee, who is the designer, Tara, who does the covers and like all those kind of people. Um, Kat, of course, who, who read the audiobook. But then there's so many other people, uh, fans who just like, you know, poured their heart into TikTok for like two weeks before the book came out and like all kinds of stuff. It's just absolutely incredible. And I'm so, so glad I got to be a part of it. Uh, Becca, where can people find you? Um, you can find me on basically any social media platform as Becca Soka, uh, which is because I like Ahsoka, if you couldn't guess by that name. <laughs> um, but I'm pretty active all over, usually Star Wars, sometimes Marvel, but a lot of Padme too, you'll find. Uh, Kate, where can people find you? I am EK underscore Johnston on Twitter, Instagram, and TikTok. And I am EK Johnston with no underscore on Tumblr. I also have a website, which is ekjohnston.ca, where you can get information about all of my books, including Queen's Hope, but also all of them. <laughs> so this wasn't planned, but uh, I just realized that this is going to be coming out during uh, Where They May May. Uh, our podcast network is called Where They May Radio. And every May we try and do exciting stuff. Okay. And I think this is going to be dropping in May. So um Happy where they may may. EK, <laughs> thank you so much for joining us. Thank you. Uh, that is going to do it for us. You can follow us on Twitter at Force Friends Pod. We want to give a huge thank you to Bristol Podworks for our intro and for being our producer. Go reach out to them to make your podcast dreams come true. We are grateful to be part of the Where May Where They May Radio Network. Jesus Christ. Uh, you can get some great rewards at our Patreon at Patreon slash WTM Radio as well as bonus content from shows like Music and Lyrics by Ending Pending, Fan Fiction's Good Actually, uh, Force Friends Rewatch, and Good Neighbors. Uh, this is normally where I ask Ryan, how do we end the podcast? But I guess I'll ask Kate. Kate, how do we end the podcast? And you can just say anything here. It doesn't... I was like, no, no, God, no, I have to do no, it. No, no, there's, there's no, there's no, there's no proper ending. Uh, may the Force be with you, or, or anything you want, Kate. <laughs> We are brave, Your Highness. Uh, okay. Oh, that's, that's, that's a good one. Okay. Yeah. To, don't edit this part out because it's funner if you don't. Um, <laughs> so I dedicated the third book to all of the queens who are fighting alone. Baby, you're not dancing on your own. And over the course of the pandemic, that became much more meaningful. Um, but we are brave, I think, which is nice to remember. And... We are brave. Your hands. Where they may radio.